Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Child Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. And now it came to pass in those days when Moses had grown, he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. In other words, the children of Israel Israel were enslaved. They were enslaved by Pharaoh for 400 years. So Moses grows up, he comes out, and he sees their burdens being enslaved. And he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrew friends, one of his brethren. And so he looked this way and looked that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out a second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And then he said, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill us as you did the Egyptian? So Moses feared. Now watch, this is why I'm here today. He said, surely this thing is known. So when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, his grandson. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and sat by a well. You know, I truly believe that we are on a cusp and you've been hearing me say this for years. We are on the cusp of perhaps one of the greatest moves that this world has ever seen. However, before any great awakening takes place, there has to be a reformation that takes place. And what greater example of a reformation than the life of Moses? Moses, the great deliverer. Moses, who was born as a Hebrew slave, he escaped death as a newborn baby, thanks to his mother, who placed him into a basket and sent him down the Nile River to drift past alligators that rested on the banks. That same Moses that God overlooked and, 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 excuse me, that God watched over and protected as he floated down that river. One of the very babies that came from the Hebrew children in which Pharaoh enslaved. Moses ends up being raised by an Egyptian, getting raised in its culture that dominated the world at that day. That same Moses who was trained up in the Egyptian language. Moses who understood military. Moses who was trained to fight like an Egyptian. Yet in spite of all of these accruements that Moses had, in spite of all of his training, in spite of his priestly robe that I'm sure he wore in Egypt, Moses had a secret. Moses, although he was born in royalty, he was raised by royalty, He had a secret, and that secret was that he was a Hebrew. The long story short is, as Moses' frustrations begin to build, knowing his background, where his true culture was, he ends up killing one of his Egyptian friends. And I begin to think to myself, out of all this training that Moses had before he went on the run, he had the power and the will to fight against Pharaoh, yet he doesn't stay and fight Pharaoh to free the Egyptian children, he actually takes flight into the wilderness. And I started thinking to myself, look how much training Moses had prior to him running into the wilderness. He had every skill that would be needed in order to rescue the 
enslaved Hebrews from Egyptian power, yet he doesn't. And that's actually those, those, those accruedments that Moses had, the, the training that he had in Egypt was not God's training method. God's training method was by sending him into the wilderness. That's where Moses' actual training began. And so that's why this morning I want to entitle a message called Developing in the Desert. If you're next to somebody this morning, your husband, your wife, or a friend, kind of tap them on the shoulder a little bit and say, don't worry, God's developing you in the desert. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. And when I, when I think about a desert like the one that the Midianites lived in, which is where Moses lived, I think about pretty tough conditions. I think about anything but a place that is developed. I think of a dry and parched land. I, I think about sandstorms. I think about extreme heat during the day and really cold nights. No, not much food, not much water with the exception of very little. And if it were me and I were trying to develop someone, I would, I would, I would try to create the perfect environment with the perfect conditions. I like my AC set at about 77 or 78 degrees. I love my little electronic waterfall when I'm studying. I like to have my glass of iced, ice cold Southern sweet tea. And maybe you like coffee or Starbucks coffee. Whatever it is that you feel that would create the perfect conditions for you to be developed and for you to learn. An atmosphere that's conducive for you to grow. Yet God doesn't choose oftentimes methods that, that, that come by a way of, of comfort and ease and pleasure. God will allow certain circumstances in your life to draw things out of you. I think about how some people, by being around great people, greatness gets drawn out of them. But there are other times when God draws greatness out of you in times of great difficulty, in the presence of great difficulty. God has a way of drawing things out of us through those times. It's not surprising to me that, that Moses' name means to be drawn out. And that's exactly what God did. God put Moses in an environment that drew something out of Moses, the leadership that God was calling Moses to have. And there are a few things I want to extrapolate from the life of Moses that I pray brings encouragement to you this morning. If you think about it, when he ran into the Midian desert, you can imagine how much was going on in the desert at that time. <laughs> there wasn't much going on probably complete silence with the exception of some sheep and maybe some camels. Meaning Moses was surrounded by the silence. And God's silence, I want to encourage you this morning, God's silence in your life that you may be experiencing this morning is just as important when he speaks for 400 years. Think about this. The Israelites were enslaved by Egyptians. And for 400 years, it says the word of God was scarce. God didn't say anything to Israel when they were enslaved. 400 years, not a word from God. They begged and they pleaded with God, and God didn't say a word. I wonder if you've been asking God to speak to you. I wonder if you're in a situation in your life where you need God's direction, you need him to speak to you, and yet God remains silent. I can't stand when people tell me that they can hear God you know, fluently, I hear 
especially a lot of young people, and they, they come around and they always have a word from the Lord. They're zealous. And I believe maybe in my earlier years, I probably felt the same way. But as you grow older and you grow in your relationship with the Lord and you mature, you go through certain seasons when God is absolutely silent. And if he does indeed speak, he speaks regarding things that aren't really necessarily important to you. My encouragement to you this morning is do not mistake God's silence as his disapproval of you and where you are in your season of life. Maybe the very fact that he is silent right now is his very way of saying you're in the middle of his will and that he does approve of where you are. The very fact that he's not speaking might be his way of saying, listen, son, listen, daughter, don't move. I have you exactly where I want you. I am developing you in the desert season. Can you trust God even when he's silent? Even when he doesn't seem to be moving? You know, I drive a lot for a living, sometimes up to about six hours a day. And I rely heavily upon my GPS. And sometimes I'm driving on very long stretches of road. And there are times when I'm constantly looking at my GPS, particularly when the GPS falls silent and doesn't say anything, because I'm really used to it being super annoying. Turn left, turn right, your right turn up ahead in one mile or two miles. But there are those times when I'm driving down a long stretch and I'm worried that I've missed my turn. And yet the GPS isn't speaking. So I'm, you know, constantly looking at the GPS. And here's what I found about the GPS is it's much like God in that regard. It only speaks when the turn is coming up. And that's how God is. You may be in a situation in your life right now where you're like, God, why aren't you speaking? I don't know if I'm supposed to be in this place right now. I don't know if I'm supposed to be in this relationship right now. I don't know if I'm supposed to be working at this job right now. I don't know which way to go, Lord. Here's what God is saying to you this morning. I will speak when it's your turn. I will speak when it's time for you to move. So I want to encourage you this morning. You are right where God wants you. God is using the silence in your life to depend upon him first and foremost, to trust and know that he is there without having evidence, but also to know that he will speak when it's time. Secondly, God uses seclusion in our desert seasons to develop us. I don't know about you, but there are times and seasons in my life in my relationship with God when I have felt absolutely alone. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Now, being alone and being secluded is two different things. Being alone, you can be alone by losing a loved one, a tragic loss. You can be alone by not having any friends of your, in your life. That sometimes those are without choice, but seclusion is different. Seclusion is by choice. I remember when I first got saved, I remember it. I was in my late teens. I got saved by the Lord. I don't necessarily recommend this, but here's what God did. I had so many different friends I was doing a lot of wrong with, I was running with, but here's what God did. is right, almost right when I got saved, God put me in seclusion. The people I hung around no longer wanted to hang around me. This was an intentional, it wasn't being alone. Alone is unintentional. It's something that happens in life that puts you in a lonely place. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about seclusion. In other words, God will sometimes strategically put you in a place where you're secluded so that he can work some things out in your life where he can get you to know him. He puts you in a position where you begin to rely on him. 
He secludes you. Maybe you're at a position at your job where you are secluded. Maybe, maybe, maybe this whole COVID-19 is, uh, uh, maybe God is working this out for your good and his glory by, by making you work remotely at home where you can have an opportunity to put your mind on him in the middle of your work, in the middle of your study, whatever it is, in the middle of raising kids. God will seclude you to get you to focus on him, to reevaluate some things in your relationship with him. It's in those times when you are secluded that God shares the stage with nothing or no one in your life. And he has your full attention. And he can get his best work done when you're alone because it's without all the distractions, it's, it's without all these other interruptions that God is able to mold you and shape you into his very own image and likeness. Do you know that's God's ultimate plan for your life? To you, to, for you to begin to look like Christ to have his character, and you can't do that being around lots of people. You can't do that by going through the busyness of life. So if you're going through a season where God has secluded you intentionally, embrace it, don't reject it. Allow him to use that thing to shape you and mold you into his very own image and likeness. Amen. One of the things that I appreciated about this whole COVID-19 thing is that I've realized that I can do without a lot of the accruements that I have. And what do I mean by that? Meaning when you're forced to stay at home, you realize that life really can go on. I remember before COVID-19 going through the checklist, going through the grind of work, checking A through Z, running kids here and there, paying bills, running through the rat race of life. In some ways I'm thankful for the, for the opportunity to, to be locked down to a degree because it really gets you in a place where you begin to evaluate what is important. I know that the Z generation, some of you may be in the Z generation, the younger generation, in your 20s and younger, you don't remember what it was like before phones. But life was normal. Many of you don't remember before Facebook. That was only about, what, 15, 18 years ago. Maybe not even that. Life was normal. We didn't feel like anything was missing. Life before Instagram. There, there is life outside of our busyness. And I believe that God is using what's happening in the nation of the world right now and using what's happening in your life right now. Even it might be a loss of a job. It might be the loss of something that you held dear and, and, and you thought was important that you couldn't live without. And it's got you in this place of seclusion. Can I tell you that God is going to work that thing out for your good and his glory? God will use seclusion in your life to draw you closer to himself. And will God will try to get you alone so that he can drown out all the other voices so that he can speak directly to you. Seclusion. I believe that God got Moses alone and put him in seclusion in the wilderness because he wanted not to just introduce himself to Moses, but to introduce Moses to his own self. Isn't it funny what silence will do in our life? Isn't it funny what seclusion will do? Seclusion sometimes brings the worst or the best out of people. Sometimes God will put you into seclusion because he wants to extract some things to you for you. Maybe God has a great calling on your life this morning, and he's called you to do something great, but yet he doesn't want to put you out there to do that very thing yet until he extracts some things from you, but he wants to do it in seclusion. 
I heard a preacher once say, God will not bring you to a place where your character can't keep you. And it's in those times of seclusion that God will remove those toxic things from your life. He will get his best work done. He'll shape you. He'll mold you. He'll remove those things that could be an ultimate hindrance in your destiny later on. That could be a roadblock or that could be devastating to your purpose and calling. God will use that seclusion to deliver you and set you free so that he can use you in the future. Thirdly, God used this wilderness experience to cause barrenness. Now, I know that might be controversial this morning. He used barrenness in Moses' life to develop him. Now, what do you mean, preacher, you might be saying? Can you, can you imagine the shock of Moses going from a place of prestige to a place of barrenness? He went from a place of power to, to being a fugitive in the wilderness, running from Pharaoh. I can only imagine what his life looked like. He went from having grapes dropped in his mouth from the Egyptian women. He went from having palm branches waved at him to, 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 to keep him cool in the heat of the day to, to not being able to hide from the desert sun. He went from having those grapes dropped in his mouth to eating cactus. It's amazing what God will allow to be removed from our life, not because he doesn't love us, but because he has better for us. You might have some things that have been removed during COVID-19 in this season. Again, maybe it's a, maybe it's a loss of a, of a friend. Maybe it's a loss of a job. But can I tell you that God's barrenness is his best way of bringing fruit and bringing about his purposes in our lives. I think we can see that in the nation and all around the world right now, that our lives can be dramatically changed overnight. Loss of a job, friend removed from your life, some dramatic change. Listen what this scripture says in John 15. It talks about being barren. And God's best way to bring about his blessing is to create barrenness. Listen to what this verse says in John chapter 15, verse one through two. It says, I am the vine, meaning Jesus is the vine. And his father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He causes barrenness. He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That it might bear more fruit. God will prune your life not because he wants to be cruel, but he wants you to grow. Sometimes he will cut things back to produce growth. E even even uh, uh, th those who, um, th they're, th I've been studying and I, and I watch, um, I love this. It's called The Earth. It's, uh, it's like an animal show, I guess, if you will. And they're environmentalists. And what these environmentalists will do is they will go, and you've probably heard me say this before, they will literally go into the wilderness and they'll put on these backpacks with a flamethrower and burn everything in that wilderness from the ground up to about four to six feet. And, and, and they're not trying to be cruel. They're not being pyros. They don't want to set the forest on fire. That What they're doing, their intention is to regenerate growth. And that's what happens in our lives. God will come through our lives with a flamethrower many times and he will remove those things that do not belong. And not only will he do that, if he sees stifled growth, what he does is he'll come in your life and cut some things back, not because he doesn't love you, but he wants to regenerate growth. And sometimes we're stifled in our relationship with him. 
And God will allow things to be destroyed. He'll allow things to be cut back, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does love us. And God will often take away things sometimes because he never wants us to ultimately rely on things. He wants us ultimately to rely on him. And lastly, as I close, in Exodus chapter three, I'm not gonna go there, verses one through 12, there was the burning bush. So here's the word of the Lord whoever's watching this morning. And I pray you share this video to encourage someone. If you endure the silence, if you can handle the seclusion, if you can make it through the barrenness in this season of your life, God is going to give you your burning bush. It's just a matter of time. I've spent the last several years, and this may sound weird and funny, I've spent the last several years of my life studying God. Not that he can be studied. He's so vast. He's so large. He's deeper than the deepest ocean. He's higher than the highest star. But as I've studied him, I found out God to have a common denominator to him. He has a method to him. And anytime you are in the thick of a difficult season, and it's not related to your sin or your bad decisions, but you know for some reason it's, it's God's doing, I can tell you that on the other side of that season is great blessing. The very fact that you're going through what you're going through is a signal that God has something great in mind for you. He's preparing you for a blessing. He's preparing you for a miracle. He's positioning you and your family for something great that he has in mind. The silence, the seclusion, the bearingness are all things that God uses to set the stage. Don't walk away. Don't walk off the stage before the fire show starts. Don't walk away before God gives you your burning bush. There may be somebody who's watching me this morning who's wanting to quit, who's wanting to throw in the towel. They're saying, God, it's too hard. God, it's too tough. God, I want to give up. I don't know if I can endure much more. The Lord is saying, hang on in there. I have something great in mind for you. I have a purpose in all of this. I have a plan. I'm molding you. I'm shaping you. Don't give up before I send you your burning bush. You know what was a true wonder in Moses' life and with this whole burning bush that he was experiencing? It was that Moses' bush was on fire, but, but it wasn't consumed. And I've heard that preached many, many times. Maybe your life is like that burning bush. And here was the beauty of it. Here was the miracle of it. It's normal for fires to start in the desert. <laughs> he was in a desert. It's not abnormal for fires to happen. Fires happen all the time in the desert. It's hot. It's the perfect environment. It's the perfect environment where, whereby it's conducive for things to set on fire. But here was the beauty of it. And here's how you know it's God setting some things on fire in your life is when it's not consumed. The very fact that you're still standing there wanting to serve the Lord is a sign that God's allowing you to go through that season in your life because you're not being consumed. Although you may be overwhelmed, Paul said it like this, we are pressed but not crushed. We are persecuted yet not abandoned. 
We are cast down yet not destroyed. Even though you're going through that very thing, it's, it's, it's a, God's miracle is the fact that you're not beaten in this situation. You're not destroyed in this situation. But God's sovereign hand is on your life because he has something great planned for you. You know, when I think about the world, as I close, when I think about the world today, and it's seemingly a desert-like experience, you know, I believe the world is developing in a desert right now, just like you might be, in your marriage, in your finances, in your family, in whatever that circumstance is. But, but I believe the drying up, the desert-like experience, the drying up is God's way of making America flammable once again. Oh, that's good. I hope you heard that this morning. I believe that this desert-like experience that you're going through and that America is going through, this great awakening that I've been preaching about for two years is God's way of drying up some things to make it flammable once again. I don't mean a physical fire. I mean a holy fire that God wants to bring to our nation. He wants to set us on fire for him again. He wants us to burn with passion like him like never before. He wants us to be in passion for the things that his heart is in passion with. He wants us to preach the gospel to every creature. He wants us to be on fire for him at our cubicle or on our job. He wants us to be on fire for him even when you're raising those kids at home for that single mom or that single dad. He wants us to be on fire for him in every aspect of our lives. Being on fire for him is not just meant for preachers and ministers. It's for that mother. It's for that father. It's for that marriage. Come on. It's for every sphere of your life, no matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're a delivery driver. He wants you to be on fire for him. It doesn't matter if, if, if you are a teacher. He wants you to be on fire for him. Whatever sphere of influence that he's put you, he wants you to burn brightly for his glory. And that's my prayer for you this morning. That, Lord, you would help us to endure the silence. Help us to handle the seclusion, this desert-like experience that we're going through. And I pray that for every listener, every person under the sound of my voice, I pray that you would help them and grace them to make it through the barrenness of their lives. Lord, so that we would have, we would come to a place where we would experience that burning bush in our lives, Lord. Touch that person who's listening right now. Let them know that they are on track and they are on time and they're not gonna miss you. But you have them right where you want them. For that person who's listening this morning, Lord, and who needs a miracle in their life, Lord, I pray that your supernatural power would just touch them even right where they are. Any person who's under the sound of my voice who has a sickness in their body, Lord, I pray right now, healing over that body. I declare the blood of Jesus over that person. Lord, that person who's struggle, struggling, uh, Lord, in their marriage, Lord, I speak supernatural healing in that marriage. Lord, let them see that this desert-like experiencing experience, Father, is, is, is working something out that has a far more eternal weight of glory that's working it out for their good and your glory. Lord, for that person who's listening to me who doesn't know you, who wants to know you, or who may only know you in their head, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior and friend. Maybe they, maybe they know you as God, but they don't know you as Savior and friend. Lord, I pray that that person would have a special visitation from you even right now. 
And if you're listening to me this morning and you don't know Jesus, maybe this Facebook Live has been shared and you've run across it and you don't know, you don't know the Lord. I don't wanna shut this time down together until I give you an opportunity. So if you don't know the Lord, you've never given your heart to Christ, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to him, I want you to pray with me and repeat these words after me, and then we'll close. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. Today, I make you Lord of my life. Help me, Father, to break away from every tie to this world that would keep me separated from you. Today I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross, Jesus, and that three days later you rose again so that I could have life and life more abundantly. I confess that with my mouth and I believe it in my heart that you are Lord. Today I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.